Joyce Tapley, as a CEO of a multi-million dollar healthcare center, is a proven thought leader on matters of public health. We created this podcast because it's time for a real discussion about the state of healthcare in our nation. Welcome to a new episode of Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. I am excited to have these two guests on our podcast today. I have the pleasure of introducing the key leaders of St. Philip School and Community Center, located at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in South Dallas. Dr. Terry J. Flowers serves as the Perot Family Headmaster, and Mrs. Kelly Morrell serves as the George T. Lee Jr. Principal. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. What do you see as how the, the public health pandemic how it's affected the children. Do you hear anything from the kids as they're talking to you virtually or now in person? Yeah, I think, you know, initially um, just the the unknown, right? The fear Mm -hmm. of the unknown. So I think a lot of kids were um, anxious and so we started to see some of that. Even now, um, we are still having conversations with parents, especially for the older kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there is still a little anxiousness, and people are waiting to get their vaccinated. You know, I have a lot of parents that are wanting their kids to get vaccinated. Um, so I, I think that it's it's played a big role um, in how they feel about coming into the space. But I really do feel like it's the school's responsibility to really push that this is a safe space, that we are doing everything that we can um, to, um, you know, to make this a safe space, but then also to educate, because I think also that there's, there are, you know, narratives out there that, you know, that they may be hearing what they watch on TV. And so really it has been important that we give a true narrative about what the, what the disease is and how we all can remain safe. We put a lot of effort into our nurse and, um, and her educating families and students. And so we're starting to see um, the little kids, you know, they're just they're they're just happy. But the older kids um, can really start to make some connections and start to see that you know they they have family members that are dying. Like this yes. is huge. People that they yes. know. Yes, like this affected. is really huge. And um, and we've also had to shift what our purpose is. You know, sometimes you know schools it's it's all about education, but it's really not. It's about um, pouring into the lives of kids at whatever season that they're in. And right now they're, they're in a pandemic. And so we have to really start to meet them where they are and say, okay, guys, yes, you need to know your math, but you, you also need to communicate how you're feeling today. Yes. And, um, you know, is it a smiley face? Is it a sad face? And how can we, as the educators, the adults kind of walk you through that? This is a different form of trauma. Yeah, that is true. Uh, it's traumatic for our children. Mm-hmm. And we have to think through that and understand that it may not be the way tra- uh, trauma usually yes, manifests itself in adults, right. but um, it is totally different. And I think Kelly's right. You know, the older children, uh, at least in our environment, are, yeah. we, we see it more in them. Mm-hmm. How are the students, parents, and your staff members coping with these changes? And what are some of the um, journeys that you've seen them go through over the last year and a half or so? Yeah, I think um, I think it's been a challenge. I really do. If I could just be honest, I think it's really been a challenge for um, teachers and just still trying to um, bring joy and be positive within the moment. And so Dr. Fowler's talked a lot about what we try to do to bring back um, who we are, some sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's been the positive thing. Having kids back in the building has 
totally transition the yes. way we are doing school, how we're feeling about school. So, um, but I will say that it, it, it has been a challenge and, and it's been really um, part of our mission as the school to be sure that we are finding opportunities to bring back connection, bring back some sense of normalcy, making sure that we're having chapel every day, making sure that we're still um, bringing families together, even though parents can't come into the building, we're still having our virtual parent meetings, our virtual opportunities for parents to share. They can watch our chapels live um, each and every day. So really just trying to give everybody a sense of um, uh, that we're, we're back and we're together and it looks a little different, um, but, but we're still all one family. And, you know, if you know anything about St. Phillips, that's our, that's who we are, right? right? We're one really big family. And so, you know, it's kind of hard not to always see your family and you have to, you know, see them virtually. So we're really trying to uh, pull that together. But but to, to back to your question, I think it's been difficult for um, for everyone, even kids. Um, uh, but seeing their teachers in person, um, you know, as best as we can mm-hmm. when we're still trying to socially distance, that, that tap, that hug, you know, that rub on your back, mm-hmm. you know, it does something, right? It does something to the mind. Does something to the to the body that I feel safe. I feel good about being in this space. So, um, so while it's been a challenge, I really do think that um, everybody's kind of coming back together. That's great. What roles should schools assume in educating and informing students about public health? We are the baseline. Uh, they'll get it from their their parents, hopefully, uh, but schools are the baseline for the exposure of our children to public health. I mean, without a doubt, we started with two-year-olds <laughs> on our campus. So um, we even, we're even starting with, with them as young as two, uh, focusing in on health, how that relates to yourself, your family, and then beyond your family. Right now, we're gonna take a short break, but we'll return after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Stay with us. Dallas County, at 2.3 million residents, is the second most populous county in Texas. And like many large counties, it has its share of healthcare disparities and poor outcomes. What we know about healthcare is that you can't improve outcomes for people unless you know their healthcare journey. Our show, Hashtag Dallas County Health Stories, talks openly to real people about their personal journeys. The series, created and produced by Lindell Singleton, is available on YouTube. Here is an excerpt from one of the stories. I had a hysterectomy in 2019, December 2019. And when I had the surgery did, January the 1st, I ended up going back to the hospital because I had blood clots. I couldn't stop coughing and choking. I had blood clots running up and down in my body. And um, I went to so many doctors to try to figure out what was going on for two years. I came here, um, I'm gonna say March. I got here in March and uh, I seen Dr. Marshall and I explained to her everything that was going on and she she pinpointed everything that I was going through. She found out what was going on, what was causing the, causing me to have that and everything. And I, I call her my angel. When I come see her now, she's my angel. Visit Dallas County Health Stories on YouTube to watch an episode.
are back. You're listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Now, back to the podcast. Let's talk a little bit more about St. Philip School and Community Center. Give our listeners a flavor of the mission, the vision and values, and its rich history. Let's start with the rich history. Um, So St. Philip's was formed as a result of a small group of black Episcopalians who in the late 1940s decided they wanted to get a church established in South Dallas. Mm -hmm. There weren't a lot of black Episcopalians in Dallas then, still are not (laughs) many today. Uh, And so the Episcopal Diocese actually had some property and they gave it to them and told them to go ahead and get started. And they um, identified that there was a juvenile delinquency problem in the neighborhood after they started. And so they wanted to respond to that. They created an athletic program to address juvenile delinquency. They started having some uh, some dances on the weekends mm-hmm. for kids just to keep them a- active. And then a kid was hit by a car, uh, and so a toddler, and they, so they started a daycare center. The daycare center added grade levels and grew into a school. The church congregation never really populated, and so they ended up splitting, going to other Episcopal churches, the athletic program took on social service programming. So over time, you might say St. Phillips has been responsive to the needs of the, the community surrounding it, be it health care, be it housing, be it um, uh, food insecurity, and education, of course. And so we've constantly been responsive uh, there. And so the today we're St. Phillips school and uh, community center, we place a lot of emphasis on the and because the reality is the majority of those that we serve are not as students. We have 240 students okay. enrolled in the school, but there are you know, 3,400 or so more students, uh, more people who are being served through, through St. Phillips. So generations that you have impacted in a positive absolutely. way. Absolutely, absolutely. In terms of the mission, how are you as the principal integrating and implementing that mission. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we really talk about at St. Philip's is uh, these four things that we really focus on, a love of God, love of self, love of learning, and we've added a love for others. And I really feel like that is, it's embedded in our curriculum. It is really, um, when we're hiring, um, it is, it's what we're looking for in educators, that those that believe in that, right? So, um, and when we start, we start with um, a love of God, that that's the foundational piece that, um, you know, we, we are doing this because we have a personal relationship with God. Um, and then that leads us to a love of self, right? So God made us uniquely beautiful, um, and we pour that into our kids. If, if, if nothing else, our St. Philip's kids are super confident. Um, they uh, they acknowledge that. And, and honestly, guys, to be very honest, that that is the key to educating children, is yes. that kids, if kids believe that they can do it, um, then that's the end of the game. And that's really all that we push. We just pour into them. We do it honestly. You know, we give them uh, honest feedback, but they have to own it and believe it. And it's on the adult to, to pour into them and say, you've got this, you've got this, and then to keep continue to challenge them. 
So it's a love of God. It's a love of self, right? Um, that God made you beautiful um, just the way you are. Um, and then it's a love for learning, right? So at St. Philip's, we just believe that learning should be fun. Mm -hmm. It should be engaging. It should be exciting. It should be different. And so um, so you will see that in that space. We have an iLab, an innovation lab, just creativity um, just kind of really pours into that space. Um, and then the last is um, a love for others. And we kind of just added that but it really fits in with who we are, yes. right? So we really believe that all of those other three things are solely for you. And Dr. Flowers talked about this earlier, for you to be able to pour into others. We just feel like you cannot be in South Dallas. We cannot sit in an area with so much need. Um, and, and we have and recognize that God has given us gifts and talents and not take that and pour into somebody else, right? And, and making sure that our kids are empathetic, that they are minded um, and, and thinking about their people and what they can do to help their people. So that's that's the mission of what we do um, each and every day for our kids. And, and that's the most important piece for us um, is that when they leave their life after St. Phillips, that that's the kind of student that we are producing. In words, uh, transforming the world through faith, education and service. That's it. I want to direct this to each of you now. Give us a flavor of your personal journey and explain um, why you became involved in education and why you still remain in education. Either one of you can go first. I'm going first? Okay. So, <laughs> my, mine's probably shorter than Mine Dr. Flowers. Yes. Yeah. We're going to say, <laughs> the, say the one word shorter than it is. Um, so, I am a product of two teachers. Okay. So, both my parents were teachers. Um, I grew up in the Bronx, New York. Um, and so I never saw anything like St. Philip. So um, I definitely just, you know, had a passion for education. I started at 14, which is so funny, working in a daycare. That was my first job. And at first I said, I'll never be a teacher because my parents were teachers. And uh, but really, that's just who who I was, who God made me to be. And so I ended up going to college and became a history education major. And uh, then came to Dallas, got my master's in Dallas, and uh, really had a passion just for youth um, and, uh, and wanting to be in a space where I was um, challenging youth. And so ended up becoming a history teacher and uh, went to public school and was a principal there. Uh, but I was a parent of St. Philip's first. So my kids have been at St. Philip's since two and three years old, and now they're in fifth and sixth grade. And what drew me to St. Philip's is two things, um, is the fact that one, um, it's faith-based, and that was really important for me, that my kids were in a space that um, uh, encouraged what we believed at home. Um, and then the other thing that I'd never seen in a school in all the years of education um, were teachers that knew my children, and my children never even had this teacher. There was something about the space that when I felt that when I dropped my kids off, there were, my kids were two, but the sixth grade teacher was like, hey, Eden, hey. It 
was yeah. just that kind of space. Yes. And I'd been in schools where it was a lot of negativity towards kids and, you know, they had behavior challenges and teachers just had kind of lost their fire. And when I came to St. Phillips, I saw that fire and teachers were just passionate about what they did in that space. And that's a credit really to Dr. Flowers and what the space, how he created the space. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's hugely important that the leader makes the space feel um, like uh, where teachers feel comfortable to be themselves and to be creative and step outside the box. And so um, so that that's really what uh, drew me to St. Phillips. And then as, as my kids continue to stay there, it is their confidence. My husband always says, you know, my kids like, oh, I'm going to be the president. I'm going to be, you know, they, they just believe. And my husband's like, that's St. Phillips. You know? <laughs> He's like, that that's their belief in themselves. And that's St. Phillips really pouring into them. So um, that that's my, my short story. And how long have you been there? This is my seventh year. Seventh as, year. Mm-hmm, as the principal. Fantastic. And my ninth year as a... So for all of those who don't know Ms. Morell, she also served at a magnet school, Paysetter School. Okay. She's been a recipient of the STARS Teacher Award, a Teacher of the Year Award, and also Excellence in Education Foundation Award. She and her husband have two wonderful children, and she already talked about being from New York. We won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> she also completed seminary school. Oh, but that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's that's a part of of the makeup mm-hmm. of the right teachers and the right principals. Yes, <laughs> yeah, she's she's sharp. Now, I want everyone to know a little bit more about Dr. Flowers. So, Dr. Flowers, if you can talk about yourself in as much detail, just feel as comfortable, much detail, embellish as you I mean, want. Because whatever <laughs> whatever I'm, you miss, I'm the I'm oldest gonna, of I'm five gonna, children. Okay. Born and raised in Chicago. Uh, my dad was moonlighting, driving a taxi cab, trying to make a little extra money, and he was shot, uh, leaving my mom with five kids. Um, the, um, he died, and um, neither he or my mom graduated from high school, lived on the south side of Chicago, lived in nine different locations between kindergarten and 12th grade. I have no childhood friends. Um, other than a few from church, Um, but none from from school that are schoolmates. Um, I graduated from high school, and that was a big deal for our family because it hadn't been done before, so it was like people from all over (laughs) came to that. Uh, Went off to college, and um, how did I get into education? I got into education because... I completed the college application, and back then you would fill in the the little bubbles. Um, And so I went to a vocational high school with the plan of majoring in uh, in going going to college. I wanted to major in engineering. And so before you get to the engineering program at this university, you had to take pre-engineering. So I was going to be a pre-engineering major. When you fill in the bubbles, it's PE. So they looked at this application of a guy who played football and wrestled in high school um, going off to college and assumed that he did not want the pre-engineering tract. Mm -hmm. And so that was changed from pre-engineering to PE, physical education. And so in their program, you couldn't change your first, first semester. You had to wait. And so in the interim, I had to take some education courses as a part of that, that tract and, it hit me that, you know, I, I kind of, um, being the oldest of five kids, my mom's a triplet, and so her sister 
uh, who's still living, had six kids. There were 11 of us. I was the oldest of all of them. The ringleader always uh, out front, and so I like working with kids. And so I uh, stuck with the education courses there and um, still got the um, stuck with the education courses, went on and graduated and, um, in education. So I was graduating from college and my one of my professors said, look, I want you to go and talk to someone. And so she drove me from Upper Iowa University to the University of Northern Iowa, which is about, about an hour away. And she took me to a gentleman, his name was Ira Tobert, um, Dr. Ira Tobert, African-American professor who had a long gray beard and a big gray afro, soft-spoken guy, first black professor I ever met um, because my my university undergrad had no black professors. They, had, I don't, they didn't have any black staff, not even in maintenance. Um, no, nowhere. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so I, I visit with him, and he says, look, I heard a lot about you. Uh, I, I have your grades here. You've had great grades. You've been active in student government. You're captain of the football team. What do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, I have this teaching certificate, and I have an invitation to trial for the Chicago Bears. Um, and he said, wow, invitation trial for the Chicago Bears. He, he spent about 30 seconds talking about the Chicago Bears. <laughs> he said, you know, you could do great things. If you make it, great things for your family, great things for yourself. It would be wonderful. On the other hand, he says, I'd like to offer you a fellowship. I never heard of a fellowship. Uh, I'd like for you to consider getting your master's degree um, here at the U- University of Northern Iowa. And I had never even thought about a master's degree. Really didn't know what a master's degree was. I was uh, just underexposed. And so he said, because you could probably be a teacher, yes, but you can probably be a principal or superintendent of schools. And Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like to to take these papers and consider them. I went back and did a little research on my invitation for the Chicago Bears. That's just an invitation. You get to try out. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> That's it. You yes. might get a T-shirt, right? <laughs> uh, uh, so I went there and um, did that research and then dove into his papers. And this was, um, you know, basically a fellowship was an opportunity to get your master's degree. And they were paying for most of it, um, and so I um, turned down the invitation to trial for Chicago Bears. And um, at that point in life, really sort of channeled all of my aggression that I used to display on the football field, all of my intensity mm. over into um, um, getting the master's degree, because the same professor at the end of getting the master's degree, just before it was over, handed me more papers, Vanderbilt, Teachers College, uh, Stanford, Yale, Mm -hmm. and Harvard were applications that he was having me to fill out. In college, I met my wife, who wasn't my wife at that time, but I was, I'd met her, and she was a couple of years behind me, so she was leaving the university to go to New York um, to finish her course of study. Columbia University is in New York. I had all of these other applications. I filled those out, but 
Columbia was going to be the one to yes. give me a chance. <laughs> Followed her. So right. I chased a woman to that's New York. That's right. There you, oh, you chased her. Uh, I worked good. in the public schools <laughs> in Harlem. Uh, went to school at night at Teachers College. Their program is set up that allows you to uh, take your classes at night while you teach during the day. Mm-hmm. Took those classes, and then this woman left New York, moved to Texas. She moved to Texas, came here in July, and by October I was here. To, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was here to look over my investments. <laughs> um, so it started job hunting. Yes. And um, found. St. Phillips in the Dallas Times Herald newspaper. Wow. And that's how I got there. And you've that's been a long, here. short version of how I got here. I do have one more question that I want to ask as it relates to your impact on the school and the students. How are you making a difference in the lives of students? Tell us a story that embraces and encapsulates your values and who you are. Um, so for me, um, how I'm making a difference or, or how I want to make a difference, um, I had a student, a uh, young lady, who um, didn't necessarily fit the mold of St. Phillips. Um, uh, you know, just uh, a young girl that um, had trouble, uh, mom, um, you know, was had some issues on her own, and, you know, we can get into that. Um, kind of a chubby girl, too. Um, and so just her whole self-esteem really, um, she really had challenges with and came to St. Phillips. Typically, we like for kids to come at a younger age and really kind of grow their way through the, the school, but she came kind of in the, the latter parts of the grades, maybe third grade. And um, I think really watching her see who God made her to be and her conversations with me after that is really, um, that really meant a lot to me just because I've been a kid, you know, a Bronx girl and, um, and the power of a teacher or a principal or someone you know, pouring into you and encouraging you and really watching how she transitioned. Um, and not, 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 not her life necessarily changed, but how she viewed herself and how she viewed her talents and what she brought to this world um, is really what makes the difference for me, um, is that kids really start to see um, that God has made you uniquely talented and gifted and worth something and there's value in you and it doesn't matter if you came from the Bronx, New York or the south side of Chicago. That's why me that was vibe so well. It doesn't matter where you came from um, and you know it matters where you're going and it's it's the adults responsibilities to make sure that we guide you in that direction and so I really feel um, passionate about that and I thought you know when I came from public school, I'm not going to have those experiences when I get to private school. But, you know, they're there. You know, kids are kids. And, um, and they're all in need. And regardless of their circumstance or their background, whether they're super wealthy um, or whether they're, um, you know, struggling financially, um, they are in need of grown people that um, they'll say, I'll walk this journey with you. I'll walk this life with you. And so... Um, that was impactful for me. Well, you clearly you <laughs> felt what you needed to yeah. to help guide her and gain the trust. And in healthcare, 
what's really important about the success of a patient is their trust that they um, develop with the provider. And you mm -hmm. all are the providers of these children and the, and the parents. Yeah. And so clearly you've done, uh, poured your heart out to them, and it's, it's with the compassion, too, that you use to help gain their trust. And we had the same similarities mm -hmm. um, in healthcare as a doctor and patient relationship. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. Flowers. So that's um, you know, picking, picking a couple of stories. So you said one story. You can so do two. I'll, I'll, do, uh, I'll do one quick one. Uh, a young man walked up to me at a football game uh, 10 years after he had left St. Phillips. He walked up to me and said, Dr. Flowers, I want to thank you. And he said, um, I said, what? what? He said, uh, I, I, I uh, walked on to my college football team, and when I walked on, there, was, there were 50 guys who were trying out for the same position. Mm. He said, I got the position. I said, well, congratulations. He said, well, let me tell you why I got the position. He said, uh, the coach called me into the office, and he said, you know, uh, there was a wide field of, of talent out there. And all of you guys were just about equal, but I'm selecting you. Do you know why I'm selecting you? He said, no. He said, I'm selecting you because when you shook my hand, you gave me a firm grip and you looked me in the eye. And he said, Dr. Flowers, I just want to thank you for teaching us <laughs> how, how to shake hands. That, that's a simple one. But the, that my other story is uh, uh, a family, um, a family who transitioned from California to Texas, mm -hmm. hitchhiking. A family of four boys and, and, and the mom and the dad hitchhiked. I met the family at a, um, a, a, spa a space called Vogel Alcove here. Okay. Uh, they, there was a daycare for the children of the homeless. Mm -hmm. So this young man was in, in the daycare and I asked, um, I'm taking a tour of the daycare for the very first time. And they said, I want to introduce you to one of our students. And so this young man comes up and he starts talking to me. And I ask a few questions about him after the tour. And they tell me that he's only going to be there for three more weeks. Why three more weeks? Well, they age out. And after they age out, they have to go to a school. Well, what school will he go to? there is no definition because the family is homeless. And so what typically happens to the children is that they get bumped around. Um, and me, having gone to nine different schools, uh, asked the next question, well, can they go to a private school? So we end up getting this student and the entire family to come to St. Phillips. They were able to benefit from the food pantry, <laughs> the transportation program, the scholarship program, and all of the resources, the athletic program, the tutoring program, um, and all transitioned through St. Phillips, all graduated from St. Phillips. And the young man who I met in the daycare is now finishing uh, at finishing school at, uh, I won't say the name of the, mm -hmm. of the university, but a prominent university in California. Um, and uh, family's doing well. Mom and dad are now both working, have a house in South Dallas, and all three of the uh, other brothers are, are doing extremely well. I want to appreciate you. You didn't ask us anything about test scores. Mm. We have great news about our test scores. <laughs> I'm if, glad. If we, if we had to go there. Yes. But as you kind of sense from Kelly, that's not what it's about. We can't cloud um, 
human potential by a statistic. And so we, we strive to, we don't ignore test scores. Right. I mean, we, we take them and we do well, uh, but that's not what it's about. It's about what makes us human, the, the humanness uh, and um, what we can do to make sure that that's preserved, accelerated, and, and celebrated. And that is an excellent point. Um, people are successful, whatever they define success to be, based on what is in their heart and you know, who, who they have supporting them and pushing them along and motivating them mm -hmm. and not focus on test scores. I can tell you right now from my test scores, I would never think that I'd be in the position that I'm in. Mm -hmm. But I had parents and a couple of teachers who said, oh yeah, you can, you can do that too, you can do that. And that's what your school does. Mm -hmm. You all give them, the, the, the sky is the limit. That's right. The sky is the limit. Yeah, well, one, is one of the things that public health, the pub, that schools can do to improve public health is to back off on that, yes. that, that focus of That's right. the drill and kill for, mm -hmm. for, for test that is right. prepping and all of that. Right now, we're going to take a short break, but we'll return after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Stay with us. My name is Kaya, and I'm almost a teenager. I have a real problem. My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to JudyPie.com, or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. Inspire Art Dallas uses advocacy, fundraising, and public events to encourage the flourishing of the City of Dallas Public Art Program and to enrich public art experiences for residents and visitors to the City of Dallas. I'm Kay Kalos, Public Art Program Manager for the City of Dallas Office of Arts and Culture. At Foremost, we are changing healthcare outcomes for all of North Texas. Patients first, health and wellness foremost. Look for us at foremostfhc.org, on Facebook, or hashtag HealthyDallasForemost. And we are back. You're listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Now, back to the podcast. Okay. As longtime educators, what is the state of public education in America? And please outline some reasons why we should be concerned. Um, I'll start. Uh, I think that um, public education is having is having some challenges. Um, I think the they're making gains in the mindset of how they view school. So when we grew up, it was the neighborhood school concept. So if you lived in that neighborhood, you went to that school, um, and that was pretty much all you were gonna get. It wasn't gonna be very much tailor making this to fit the needs. Um, I think that um, you know our educators have are 
finally learning that kids are different, parents are different, um, and they have uh, different needs. And so we're starting to see this notion of um, choosing some choice in there and um, choosing different schools. Uh, one of the things we really try to emphasize is that um, it's about best fit for each kid. And I think sometimes um, we just want every kid to fit the cookie cutter model, and they don't. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that um, public education that I start to see um, some change in. Um, but the other thing that they really focus on, and Dr. Flowers talked about it before, is just this notion of test scores um, and that that defines a student's success. Um, and I think that they're starting to see that that really doesn't define student success and they're starting to see some challenges with that model. Um, and that what it is doing is it really restricts teaching. Um, and it, it doesn't make teaching as creative as it used to be. Um, and it doesn't make the environment as engaging as it, as it should be. Um, so we go back to how students learn. Um, you know, they learn when they're um, connected to the material, when they're actively engaged, when they're involved um, and participating. And when, um, when they're in a space that doesn't allow for that, then we're, we're seeing that. We're, we're seeing how, um, how education is, how, how kids aren't performing well on tests. Um, um, and, and just as a public educator, one of the challenges that teachers always had in public education were um, those that are the higher ups aren't necessarily educators. And so they don't really know what it's like to work in that space, but they are, um, you know, giving mandates and deciding a child's future and teachers, um, but you've never worked in a school. Um, you know, in order to be a principal, in order to even be a school counselor, you have to be a teacher okay. in public education. You cannot um, be in any higher superintendents. Everybody has, has been a teacher before, has had that experience. So we would think that that same notion would be the, be true for, uh, for those in Austin, that they would also have been educators to fully understand. So I think um, those are the challenges. And I think as we start to think differently mm -hmm. about it um, and about um, how kids learn, I think that they'll start to see, um, you know, better scores if that's if that's their litmus test that, that kids are learning. Um, I think they'll see that more uh, if they think differently about how they're educating kids. Sure. Dr. Flowers, you ready? Sure, the, the, um, the bureaucracy is a substantial challenge. That plus the, uh, and it's not just public education, it's all education, uh, talent, uh, identifying great teachers and our colleges are not producing them our society is not encouraging it mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the becoming one of the more thankless um, um, jobs um, and professions that we have out there for all that teachers great teachers really put into it to get so much criticism so much backlash um, and not really be appreciated and that's a substantial challenge. But I, I'm deeply concerned about the bureaucracy and what it takes to succeed. And the, I'll give you a quick example. I have a brother who's an educator in Chicago. His, he showed up, his school was, um, he showed up at a meeting. He was called, his school was shut down. <clears throat> and he was um, closing down his school, packing up everything, and he received a call. And the call said, 
Um, you're supposed to be downtown at, this, the, at the Board of Education for a big announcement. With the, You're supposed to be downtown, and um, you're, 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 you need to get there. So he leaves from packing up the boxes. He's not dressed appropriately. He gets there. He gets downtown. And when he gets there, they direct him to the room, and awards are being handed out. Awards are being handed out for the highest academic performance of all of the schools in the city of Chicago. He's there. He's not dressed appropriately to get his award because his school was one of the highest performing schools in the, in the city of Chicago. And so a reporter comes up to him afterwards and said, I noticed you're not dressed like everyone else is dressed. He said, well, I was packing up my school. Uh, well, why is your school shutting down? So the short of it is, not because of the, it was, it was shutting down because of the numbers. Uh, small is not bad. And St. Phil's proves that. Being agile, being able to create a family environment, yes. be able to notice, know and notice all of your faculty members, all of your family members, mm -hmm. is not a bad thing. But we're making decisions because of bureaucracy, mm -hmm. not yes. based on how well schools are doing uh, or how well students are performing, but there are other other factors, and I think that's sort of what Kelly was saying as yes, well. So, yes. Sorry for the long story. Oh, that's all right. We, I love the stories. I'm learning a little bit more every time. How can all of us as parents and the community take a broader responsibility for better educational outcomes? I think first and foremost, schools need to stop abdicating parental responsibilities. Schools need to stop taking on responsibilities that parents are supposed to take on themselves. Uh, schools need to hold parents accountable for educating their children. Uh, and uh, one of the first things that happens at St. Phillips is that we'll say to a family who's applying to get in, we'll say, we're, not, we, we're sorry, we can't admit your child. Hmm. And we let about this amount of time go past, and then we say, because we don't admit children, we admit families. Uh, and so one of the things that we need to have happen is for s the educational system to begin to require parents to do what is necessary for their children to succeed and stop taking all of our um, strategies and programs and resources to substituting for what only a parent can really bring to their children. I mean, 1,000%. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that, um, I mean, the best thing a parent can do is be a parent. <laughs> be engaged. Um, do the things that you know to do. Uh, you don't have to be an educator, but you are your child's first ed educator. You know, it's the ABCs. It's the basic things that parents can do um, that I think... Uh, you know, as St. Philip's I Fathers talked about it, we are all about a partnership. Every time I talk to parents, it's always thank you for the partnership. Thank you for the partnership because it's not the success we see is not just because Dr. Flowers is super awesome, which he is, um, and the program is awesome, but it really is 
because of the partnership with the parent. And you will see that in how far kids go, that those kids whose parents are actively engaged and do their part are going to go so much further than, um, and they, they've been in the same environment, they've received the same resources from the school, but it really is contingent upon um, their parents' active engagement. And so... In all of our years of experience between the two of us, neither one of us have found a school that has conceived a child. <laughs> wow. We have, that's that's we, serious. Now, we know right. that there are some schools where children have been conceived in. Yes. Uh, but we haven't found <laughs> a school that's stuff. conceived a child. And yes. therefore, it's, it's the parent's responsibility. Yes. And that's the number one <clears throat> um, number one remedy for changing around education in America. And I really pray and hope that parents see is sometimes parents, um, our emphasis is a lot on sports. And, and I love the example, Dr. Flowers, you know, he had a real decision to make. And, um, and while I think that sports is important and it's a part of who you are, I really cannot stress. I, and, I, and sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, okay, a parent will receive anything from a coach, but, but if a teacher is honest with them, oh, you know, I'm leaving this school. Right. So, so I really want parents to see that the long-term effect of education um, is really important. And, and to to really spend the effort that you you'll pay for AAU sports, you'll yes. pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for I that. No, and then when it's like you want to pay to be a part of the PTA, and they're like, ah, that's too much. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I just you're, you're, you're telling the truth, even though I paid my dues. Yeah, one time. pay your I PTA paid, paid the, that's membership. Right, we did that. I was a homeroom mom for a while too. I yeah. just, I loved yeah. it, but I, I but yes, that that makes sense because we do have to to have that partnership and. Yeah. That doesn't occur in, in a lot of schools. Well, that's not just the dollars. It's the money. Yeah. yeah. So the coach says you, your kid needs to improve his free throws, and then you go home, and you, you put the, that's in right. the time, that's right. and that's they right. put in the free throws. But the mm -hmm. teacher says that's right. the spelling test. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but you don't put the but time in the spelling yeah. test. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about a lot during this podcast, and I really appreciate uh, the, the listeners learning more about what St. Phillips does. We didn't talk about what's age range and what school, what grades you all uh, take care of? Yes. Wow. So we serve students pre-K-2, so two-year-olds mm -hmm. all the way through sixth grade. And we are super excited that we are um, adding seventh and eighth grade. And so starting Wonderful. in the 2022, 2023 school year, we will add seventh grade. So. That is fantastic. Yes. And are you expanding the school uh, the footprint of the school at all? We are. We have a new building that's being designed, and it will come online hopefully within, we'll start construction within the next year, year and a half. Still still at the same campus? Same campus, same yeah. Campus. And, and where? Well, and we're expanding the north side of the of Pennsylvania as okay, well. Okay, so. great. Where, that that is wonderful. The fact that you've made that much progress and now you're adding more to it. So now, uh, what are some of the next steps? Are you looking to replicate the school anywhere else in the we state are, or country? So we, our, our 10-year target is to become the ultimate school-based, ultimate model for school-based community transformation. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the school itself, yes. but what happens in the area surrounding us and how we're producing students that then come back and participate in programs like that, either at St. Phillip's or elsewhere, mm -hmm. but um, how can someone else come in and take this 
and duplicate it in other areas as well. And it will have a, a training component mm -hmm. uh, where people can come and learn from the genius of Kel Kelly Morrell, mm -hmm. take that back to their environments. Um, so not necessarily um, satellite campuses yet mm -hmm. until we can get the model, the model solidified um, and shared, and then we can begin thinking about satellite camp that's, campuses. That's, that is fantastic. That's um, a very expensive endeavor, but... Well worth it. It's part of God's purpose. I guess you mm -hmm. never realized that you were going to expand in that in that way, but I think no. He had the plan yeah. for you. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. That is fantastic. Do you have any other thoughts or things you want to say while we're having this show that we hadn't covered? Um, I just want to share the other unique thing about St. Philip's School and Community Center. Um, so Dr. Flowers discussed the, the new building, but the new building is a performing arts center. Um, and so uh, that's huge yes. Uh, yes. in elementary, especially in the elementary world, um, where because of test scores, because of um, the achievement gap, a lot of schools um, are getting rid of the arts to really focus on just the drill and kill. Um, and we are ensuring that the arts stay, right? That we are really emphasizing and knowing that um, there's more to our kids. Our kids are creative beings. And so um, so we want to really uh, see them shine in that area. So we're excited about a performing arts center. Um, and like Dr. Flowers said, we're a school and a community center. So this performing arts center is for South Dallas. Wonderful. Um, yeah, it's not just for St. Phillips. And so we fully expect it to be used um, for uh, performances and opportunities um, for those uh, for our neighbors in South Dallas. So it's fantastic. And that concludes another installment of Healthcare Chat. For all upcoming and previous episodes, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button and you will always be notified when a new podcast is published. Until next time, thank you again for listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley.